Well, faithfulness and romance. <laughs> An interesting title there, huh? Uh, these are some interesting passages. And, and again, we, when we look at the book of Genesis, we, we begin to realize it covers some 2,500 years in 50 chapters. And so the narrative moves rapidly at times and, and takes in great volumes of, of, of time and ages of people. Uh, but when we step back and look at the book of Genesis, one of the words that you'll come out as you study it in depthly is faithfulness. And particularly, faithfulness of God. And then as we'll see tonight, as those saints that we will look at tonight, as they progress in their following of God, their faithfulness grows. <laughs> and many of them have been through some difficult times, and we'll see how they respond to the things of God. But you'll notice that in chapter 23, in our first thought here, the death of Sarah, and the first purchase of promised land, is we must deal with the death of Sarah. Um, the Bible says in verse 1, Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. So uh, here she has lived a full life. Um, God certainly had uh, given them great health. And we've mentioned before there must have been something uh, about them, their attraction to each other, their ability to have children at, at late ages. We know that's God doing those things. And yet uh, she lives this very full life. Um, this would put her son, somewhere around the age 37. But notice when Sarah dies in Kirath Arba, that is Hebron, which would be a little southeast of, of where they were camped at. In the, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah, to weep for her. So here, here they've gone through so many things, and, and we've seen them... Uh, travel across this land that's not theirs at this time, but there's a promise that this land will be theirs. They have stood up in the great plain. God has told them, look as far as the east and the west and the north and the south. All that you will see will be your land. And then, of course, they were waiting for this child to come because there was this promise that their descendants were going to uh, be, uh, be as numerous as the, sea, the, the sand of the seas and the in the dust of the ground, and so forth. And yet, that took a long time as they waited on God to do that. So here we come to the end of Sarah's life. It was interesting as I was working again on this today, you know, just being, you know, with a family in the hospital yesterday. Um, one of our loved ones came to her end of her life. And so the Bible writes this is a historical, in a historical way, it doesn't pour tremendous emotion into it. But as I studied again today and pinning down my final notes, I thought, that wasn't easy. <laughs> I, I don't think we always understand that the characters of the Bible are not different than we are. They have emotions just like us. In fact, lived in probably more difficult times of just trying to get fresh water and things like that. Um, the Bible just says she dies. But Abraham loved Sarah. And Isaac, as we'll see, loved his mother. And so there's great emotion that is in this text as we, in a sense, read between the lines. This is the death of a, a, a matriarch. 
One that's recorded in Hebrews chapter 11 as one who lived her life by faith. In 1 Peter chapter 3, she is the example of godly women of old. And so, here we come to the end of her life. As we said, her son is roughly around 37 years old. The family is very close. There's just the three of them that are really blood relatives. The rest is a whole host of, of servants and livestock keepers, and yet everybody seems to love this couple. After she dies, Abraham mourns her death, and then he enters into negotiations in this text. We're not going to take time to read all of this text because I'm going to move through two chapters today. And he, he enters into these negotiations over a piece of property that will become the permanent memorial site of Abraham and his descendants, Sarah, Abraham, and some of his descendants. And it's real important uh, why we will know that. However, look at verse 3. Abraham rose from, from before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I'm a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. Now, here he uh, gets with the sons of Heth. And, and this is an important, just a little important document here to try to understand. Heth is a descendant of Canaan. Canaan is cursed by God and all of his descendants. And so now here's Abraham approaching the sons of Canaan, particularly what's going to be the Hittites here. And he begins to deal with this family over a piece of land within the promised land. Now, certainly, um, these men... Uh, were prominent leaders. It says this Ephron here. Notice this Ephron as you go a little farther down in the text. He seems to be the leader here and he begins to have dialogue with Abraham. And Abraham would have followed their social structures and their protocols, so he most likely met them in the gate. He begins to speak with them and ask them for this gravesite. Now, you notice in four that Abraham humbly approaches the situation. This would have been a difficult, difficult negotiation. He is a stranger. This is not your land. And now he's asking for a piece of land. And so he humbly approaches the situation. But by the time you get down to verse six, they say, hear, hear, hear us, my Lord. Uh, they're, they're starting to speak to Abraham. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our graves. None of us will refuse you. His grave for burying your dead. Take our grave. He's asking for land. They said, we got a grave for you. Just take one of ours. But Abraham knows something they don't know. This land will be their land someday. And God's going to prove a very, very important point through this little section of Scripture to show that he has given land promises and he will hold them. Now, they certainly would have known about Abraham. He was called a prince. Um, they certainly would have known that God, his God, not their God, because they didn't worship the living God. They worshiped other gods. But they would have known that his God um, had blessed him greatly, and other kings valued his presence in the land. Remember uh, um, Abimelech, the king of Egypt, all said to him, go, our land's yours, go out, do whatever you want out there. So they would have known this about him. They also would have known that he had that great defeat in, in Genesis chapter uh, 14, where he de de him and, his, and his, his herdsmen go out and defeat five kings to save Lot and his family. 
So they know they're dealing with somebody that um, is extraordinary, probably. So they smartly offer a property to Abraham for free. They say, let's, let's offer it for free. But after quite lengthy debate, as you see in 23, Abraham convinces Ephron and the Hittite family that they must accept payment for the land. Now, remember the Hittites are going to play a, a major role in the history of, of Israel. A couple of things happen, as we'll see as we work our way through the Old Testament. Esau takes three wives, there's at least three recorded in the scriptures, from daughters of the Hittites. And if you look at chapter 26, verse 34, you'll see that mom and dad are not happy with what he did. So they knew clearly what God had said, and this is why uh, Abraham sends his, his oldest servant back to his own people instead of the land of Canaan to, to get a wife for Isaac. We'll see that in the next chapter. So there's an intermingling going to happen with the Hittites through Esau. Then, as you follow down in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse uh, 17... God gives a command that the Hittites were to be destroyed and driven out of the land. Do you remember that, what they did? They didn't do it. They did not do it. And Israel didn't complete that task, and the nation started to intermarry. Now, now think with me. I know there's a little bit of his, biblical history going on. Do you remember Uriah, who David had killed? Do you remember his name, Uriah the Hittite? Holy moly, that's years later. And so Uriah, and he's one of 26, David's 26 great mighty men, right? He's one of those men in his forces, and he's Uriah the Hittite. You can see that they did not obey God, they did not follow his principles of marriage, they did not obey him, even in David's kingdom, even his men around them, here's Uriah the Hittite in amongst them. Now, that does not justify what David did in any way. David's sin was great. He confesses that sin in Psalms 51 as he offed Uriah for Bathsheba. But it was a problem. One more verse. 1 Kings 11 verse 1 says that Solomon had many Hittite wives and their pagan gods came into his kingdom. And we know what happens to the two sons. Jeroboam and Rehoboam split the kingdom the northern kingdom never has a godly king. They end up going to Assyria 125 years uh, before the, the southern tribes in judgment by God because they did not deal with this. And there was no way in Sam's Hill was Abraham going to owe the Hittites something from by having a free piece of property. Because he stood there and God told him directly, this will be your land. I'm going to give it to you. And he was not going to pay for it. You say, well, why is this so important? Just look back, because I want you to see this. Genesis chapter 15, just quickly. This is one of the land covenants. Chapter 15, verse 17. You remember this? Abraham takes these sacrifices and cuts them in half and He's fighting off the birds and he's getting dozy and he falls asleep and God makes this covenant with him that doesn't have anything to do with him, that God's going to complete this. And this great fire goes between the two, the two halves. 
And then he says this in verse 17, And it came about when the sun set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven, and a flaming torch would pass between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord, Yahweh, made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, I will give this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river to the river Euphrates. And then he starts listing a bunch of people, the Canaanites and the Kenzanites and the Kadamites, the Hittites, Prezerites, Rephraim, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Now notice right in there, that's who he's going to get their land. Now, God had told them this. This is, this is right after what we believe when Abraham believes under salvation. He remembers who he's dealing with. <laughs> and it's such a fascinating thing. And this is, this is before there's a nation. There's one child. In fact, now Sarah's dead in chapter 23. It's Abraham and Isaac. That's the nation right now. <laughs> but Abraham got to the point where he stopped questioning God. <laughs> Isn't that nice when you get there some days? Okay, God, I don't know why you did that, but we accept it. We had to say that yesterday over and over. A simple surgery, well, not simple, but a surgery that, that we were all expecting to see Bia when she came out, and God had a different plan. Heartbreaking as it was, we sat there, cried, held hands, prayed, and said, God, we accept what you did. We accept it. Abraham had got to the point where he accepted God. And even in this passage of scripture in chapter 23 that probably most of the time when we were reading through we kind of skipped through a little bit there is an important fulfillment here the future nation of Israel now owns a piece of the promised land it's a small little piece it's mainly for graves but now in the middle of all of this Canaanite they got a piece and you know what God's doing trust me (laughs) I have this handled and Abraham's to the point where he says, I have been through so much, Lord, I will believe you. I will gladly fork out that 400 shekels for that piece of land. It's interesting, Jacob buys another piece of land in Shechem. Um, also, this is the second piece. We'll see that a little later. Um, Jacob buys a, a piece of land to bury his dead in Shechem. That's where Joseph is brought back. Do you remember when Joseph dies? He says, when you go to the promised land. They're still figuring out, you know, how to, how to deal with the king of Egypt and all that stuff. But he says, when you go, take my bones. Well, they take their bones to that little plot of land that Jacob had bought, and they bury Joseph there. <laughs> so that's two pieces of land in, in the promised land, long before he ever uh, begins to drive out people from him. Now, chapter 24. Number two, a love story built on faithfulness. There are some very romantic passages within Scripture. This would be in the top of them. (laughs) If you've ever uh, not read this, uh, we will not read every verse in here, but I'll look at a lot of verses as we look at the different players that are in this uh, passage. You should read this from start to finish. It's 67 verses. It's the longest chapter in Genesis. And you think maybe the longest chapter in Genesis would be about the flood and, and fall and, and you know, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, uh, no, the longest story, longest chapter in Genesis is a love story about a man and a woman that God has preordained to be together to continue that process to bring the seed which would be Christ to this earth. So, there are several major players, and we'll use this to kind of learn the story as we go down. Let me just give you, first of all, just an overview, right? So, Abraham is getting elderly. Sarah's now passed away. Um, Isaac does not 
have a bride. He believes God that they're going to be a great nation. So this time he acts in faith saying, God will give us this. So he calls his oldest servant. We don't, we, it could be Eliezer. We don't have a name in this text. Eliezer was the one that appears with him in chapter 15. Uh, and it may well be him. But he brings him and says, look, it's time to find Isaac a bride. So here's what I want you to do. I do not want him to take a bride from the Canaanites. It's very clear on that. I don't want him to marry outside of what God has asked us to do. These are laws that will come later to the nation of Israel, but he knows that. So he says, look, go back to my people and find a bride. Eliezer, uh, the, the servant, this oldest servant here goes, um, man, uh, okay, <laughs> uh, that's quite a, a deal. And he says, well, what if they don't give this girl to me? What if I can't find one? And he says, look, an angel will direct you, trust him, follow God. And, and so this servant says, okay. And he takes a bunch of camels and some help with them. And they set off for the homeland of Abraham. And it's a beautiful story. And he shows up and he begins to pray to the God of Abraham, this almighty God that he has incredible faith in, that God would show him this woman that Isaac's going to marry. And so he says, uh, we'll see in the story here where Okay, uh, God, um, here's what I'm asking you to do humbly. Um, the woman that comes out and goes to the well and offers me a drink of water and uh, also waters all of my camels and, and all that. Oh, no, that's the one. I mean, it's like driving down to 7-Eleven and seeing who comes out with a big gulp for you. I mean, you know, probably not some way we're going to go find the next, you know, your bride. But he has such faith in God. Listen, he's been watching what God has been doing with Abraham. There's a reason the Bible said this is his oldest servant. He's been watching this things happen in these people's life. And so, of course, he goes there. Rebecca comes out. Amazing story. She does exactly that. He comes out. He doesn't say anything. He, puts, he, says, oh, he says, can you give me a drink? She lowers it, lets him have a drink. Says, hold on while you're finishing that. I'm going to go water all your camels. Does all that. And he says, where are you from? Um, I'm from Nahor's uh, uh, home. That would be Abraham's brother. Um, and, and the story goes on. And, of course, he goes and sees who this is. And he brings her back to Isaac. It is an absolutely beautiful story. But what makes it beautiful is all these players in there. So let's walk down through that. You'll see a list in your notes there. Number one, Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth. Anytime we see faithfulness in the scriptures, it's all because of God. And nobody is greater than the faithfulness of God himself. And so God has said from the very beginning, there's a redemptive plan. Uh, uh, Abraham in chapter 12, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. And from you will come this seed that will bless all the nations of the earth. That's the promise in, in Genesis 3, uh, excuse me, 12, 3. That promise is running all through these scriptures. And so here he is faithfully working through. Remember, we went through story after story. Abraham could have been killed. Sarah could have been raped in a, in a harem. I mean, we went through all that stuff and going, wow. And God protects them all the way through there. And so God is the standard of faithfulness. And he cares and he protects Abraham because he's bringing a seed through him. Now notice some of the verbiage that we have in this great chapter about the faithfulness of God. Look at verse 1. Now Abraham was old, advanced in years. Um, I didn't figure out his age, but he's, he's probably, uh, I have to go back and look at it, but he's, he's at least 10 years older than her, so he's at least 137 right here. Maybe some time has gone by since that. Um, so he's advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. Notice God blesses undeserving people, and, and if Abraham was here today, he would probably tell you that he was the most undeserving. 
He, he would probably say, you, you can't believe what I did to my wife. <laughs> you can't believe how time, many times I didn't trust God when he spoke to me and gave me these promises. And yet he was so gracious to me. Well, isn't that our testimony? And that's, the same, that's what we love about the scriptures because we can study Abraham and go, oh yeah, that's my testimony. <laughs> I don't deserve the grace that I have received. Do you? Did you merit that? Did you gain that on your own works and your own behavior? Did you somehow be, keep the law perfectly? Were you born without sin? No, none of us. Every one of us are lost from the day we're born. So Abraham realizes this, and the Bible marks this very well. The Lord had blessed Abraham in every way. So we give him credit. Verse, just drop down to verse 3. And I will, make, uh, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God, no, listen, it's God of heaven and the God of earth. So here he's talking to, to his oldest servant, don't take a wife from the Canaanites um, whom we live among, but, but by God, by the Yahweh, the Lord, and notice the terms that he uses, the God of heaven and the God of earth. What an amazing statement. That's pretty all-conclusive, isn't it? The God of the heavens, outer space, universe, all that stuff, and the God of earth. <laughs> same guy, same God. I mean, how do you like to be the oldest servant? Okay. <laughs> yeah, what, a, what, a, what an amazing thought. I want you to swear by Yahweh, the God of heaven and the God of earth. There's a deep recognition of Yahweh here in his control of all things. Look at verse 7, how God is involved here as his faithfulness. The Lord, the God of heavens, this is Abraham speaking, who took me from my father's house, from the land of my birth, who spoke to me, who swore to me, saying, your descendants, I will give this land that they're standing on right now. He will send an angel before you, and you will take a wife from the sons from there. So God has this redemptive plan. He has a supernatural way of fulfilling it. And, and notice what he says in there in verse 7. Again, he goes back to this Yahweh, the God of heaven, this one who swore to me this covenant that he made with this land, he, God, the God of heaven, the he there. Notice that in your text. Uh, I, have a, I circled the God of heaven, circled the word he there, drew a line between them because that's what it's modifying. The he's modifying the God of heaven. So Abraham is saying, the God of heaven will send his angel and direct you right where you need to go. So as so you read the story in this, this incredible you know, drive up, you know, fill up the camel type story. It, it seems unreal in some way, but yet there's an angel, there's a divine supernatural work going on to bring him to the right spot at the right time to the right person. And Abraham says, this is what's going to happen. Because that's what God does. <laughs> that's what God does. And you can trust him with your life. Notice verse 12. He said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, this is now the servant speaking, please grant me success today. He's praying, he's getting to this place, he comes up to this well. Uh, he's, he, he's speaking much like Abraham. You can see the effects of Abraham in this servant's life. Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. And so here, uh, this servant is saying success comes through the faithful God, so I'm going to ask him. I love this servant. He has no name in the Bible. You don't know who he is, but I can't wait to meet him. 
Because he, he's put in one of the most difficult positions. Anybody want to go pick out a wife or somebody? Well, I kind of like doing it, but we won't go down that road. I mean, we all like to, you know, pair people up. But um, it may not work out. So he's going, look, God, I need your help here. I need your help. And look, grant me success. Where does success come from? I mean, you have to think, this verse addresses where success comes from. It comes from God. And so when we are successful in anything, whether it's raising a child or, or running a business or, or sharing the gospel with somebody, whatever it may be, that success comes from God. And I love this servant because he goes, oh, God of my master, please grant me success. And notice this, he says, show me loving kindness. Show loving kindness to who? To my master. <laughs> Why? Because you're the God of loving kindness. So many people say, well, God's just this mean God up there. We're 24 chapters into the Bible, and he is noted as the loving, kind God. And yet, he hasn't even been revealed through Jesus Christ yet how we will know him in the New Testament. Drop down to verse 15. He prays this great prayer. We'll come back and look at that 12 through, 12 through 14. Before he's finished speaking, behold, Rachel, who was born to Bethuel, son of Melchah, Milcah, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor, came out with a jar on her shoulder. So here, God answers the prayer of the faithful. So he's praying, verses 12, 13, and 14. We'll come back and look at this. He's not even done praying. And before he finishes speaking, God's answering his prayer. What a great lesson. Now, it would be nice if the Lord did that all the time, right? We were praying for... We were praying for B yesterday. He still answered the prayer. It wasn't what we were after. But he answered the prayer. But, but he is the one who answers it. When you pray, who do you think is going to answer it? I, I think maybe that's part of our problem. We get up and go, well, I'll, I'll just go get this done. It's God who answers prayers. And before he's done, he's answering the prayer that he has put out forth. Verse 26, drop down to 26 with me. It's all done she comes out, she's the daughter, she's the right woman. Everything is done as he has prayed. Look what happens. They bow down and worship the Lord. That's what the Lord is due. He is a faithful God, and when you come face to face with his faithfulness, you worship him. That's why we sang today. I hope that was why you sang today. I hope you sang because he's faithful. And though you may be going through things, there's not a person in this room that's not going through something that you're trying to cling to Christ through, you know he's faithful. Faithfulness, the character of God, drives our worship. He is faithful. Verse 27. He said, bless the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master as for me, the Lord has guided me to the way, uh, in the way to the house of my master's brother. So he's giving praise here. The praise is to this God that shows life and kindness, shows truth, and shows guidance. That's what God does. Wouldn't you like that? I mean, don't, don't, we, don't we pray and ask God for strength? He'll give you his loving kindness, his truth, and he will give you his guidance. That's how he works. Look at verse 31. And he said, come in, 
uh, blessed of the Lord. Now this is Laban here, uh, Rebekah's brother, um, which would have been a relative of Abraham's. It says, come in, blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside since I have prepared the house and place in a place for the camels. And then look at verse 35. The Lord has greatly blessed my master. So I want you to catch what's doing. Laban says, come in. First of all, Laban doesn't know who he is. And here's what I want you to understand. The faithful God, he's faithful on the rich and the poor. He really is. Because Laban doesn't know who this is. It is in, chapter, it is in verse 35 that Laban says, look, God's blessed my master. I'm not the master. God's blessed my master. And so it, what I love about this is, is he is such a joyful worshiper of God and they can't tell whether he's Abraham or he's the servant at this point. That's what God does. That's why he's faithful. And he's faithful whether you have um, a larger bank account or you have a small one. He is a faithful God. Notice verse 40. He said to me, this is the servant rehearsing the story of what happened and how he found their daughter or, or, or sister, if he's talking to Laban here, he, he, I said to my master, suppose the woman does not follow me. He's rehearsing the story, right, of what happened with Abraham. And he said to me, Lord, before whom I have walked, will send an angel with you to make your journey successful, and you will take a wife of my son and my relatives from my father's house. So, here, he's, he's sharing, this is exactly what God wants done. God's faithful to lead to the right obedience. What, what I thought about this was, it's not for years till, till the law is going to get written. And in the law, they were commanded not to marry outside, not to ma- marry into the pagan world. For us today, that would be believers not marrying unbelievers, okay? Um, so, that precedent is already being set here. And, and, and when we obey God, and, and I want you to see this in verse 40, when we obey God, God directs our paths. And, and even in this verse, you see again where he's rehearsing what Abraham said to him, he will send an angel to make your journey successful. That's what God does. That's what God does. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. I was thinking about this. Well, is this true today for us? Does, does God send angels still i mean i you know we don't want to get all spooky here but we got a verse that might help us with something here chapter 13 we won't look at that you know it it says we entertain angels unaware be you know be kind to people take people in i mean the bible is really clear on that because you entertain angels but here in chapter 1 verse 11 um, excuse me, verse 14. Here the Bible is teaching that Jesus is not an angel. Remember the early church struggled with that. There were some people that thought that Jesus was a lesser God, maybe a created being like an angel. It's, of course, still taught today in Mormonism and other places as well. Um, but here he reminds us that he's not. But then he does tell us what angels do. Look at verse 14. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Wow. 
So God uses angels in the process of salvation. At times, he will lead us to things when we're faithful. Now, man, you can't drive too much theology on that because you can't see them and you don't know exactly what God's doing. But God uses angels to minister. And the faithfulness of God is he sent one of his own angelic beings to guide this servant right to what he wanted because Abraham was faithful, the servant was faithful, Isaac was being faithful, we're going to see Rebekah was faithful. And so God's a part of this. The, the mark is, Christian, be faithful. God will direct your path. Lean not on your own understanding, right? He's faithful to direct your path. Young people ask me all the time, Scott, how do I know who you're married? How do I know God's will for this? And how do I know? I, I, I don't know. They didn't give me that crystal ball when I graduated seminary. But here's what I do know you won't find God's will being disobedient. You'll never be sure. You want to know what God's will is for your life? Live for him. Confess sin and repent. And He's a faithful God. He'll lead you through faithfulness, not through unfaithfulness. Does that make sense? Now, that's not legalism in any way. Live for God because you love him and he'll show you his will. He might even do something spectacular and get you a woman at 7-Eleven. Verse 48. Servant bows low and worship the Lord and bless the Lord. He just keeps, he's amazed at the worship because of the sovereign guidance that God gave him. I think he was really nervous. I would be too. I got one son. He's carrying the seed of the coming Messiah. They didn't know all that. Go get him a woman. What if you come home with the wrong one? I mean, I mean it's, it, he's so full of worship because he believes God was faithful to him. Finally, look at verse 50, 50 and 52. Then Laban and Buell uh, replied, The matter comes from the Lord, so we cannot speak to you about it, bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. Let her be the wife of your master's son as the Lord has spoken. And when Abraham's servant heard these words, he bowed himself to the ground before the Lord. So in the end, as they get through all this, they just say, yeah, okay. These are not, I I don't think Laban um, would be categorized as a patriarch or in the faith. You remember when, when Leah and Rachel are released with Jacob and they're returning back to the land, they steal, uh, is it Rachel? Rachel steals the the household idols, (laughs) But they know something is spectacular about this Abraham, this family member of their, their God is amazing. He, they heard the story. They can't believe how it all worked out. And they say, listen, she's yours. And in the end of that, this servant just falls down and he worships God. Well, so much more there just on God, but let's quickly move to Abraham. We go back to verse 1 and we find Abraham by faith knows that he's this undeserving recipient of grace. He's received grace after grace through his life. He's failed to trust God in areas. And so now he's to the point where he says, look, all this is going to come true. Now, now this, this text, we don't know the time frame between it, but it's coming off of Genesis 22, right? Take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him. God provides a lamb in place. 
It's this great substitutionary teaching of the coming of Christ. I mean, it's such a crystal-centric chapter. Abraham, finally, at this point on, we see no faithless acts anymore. And so there's a faithful Abraham in this text. Verse 3, he says, look, uh, I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of earth. He says, look, he is my God. This is how I believe in God. He is a great God. He, He controls all things. But I will not let you take someone that does not um, that God would not have him marry. So he knows, Abraham knows that God does not want him to marry or his daughter-in-law coming from a people that he's going to destroy or drive out of the promised land. Verse 6. Then Abraham said, Beware that you do not take my son back there. So there's another aspect of Abraham's faithfulness. He knows not to run from where God is. So he says, Don't take my son there, you go get her. Verse 7, the Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my birth. These are sharp words, right? Well, Lord took me from my father. No, he's he's praising God. He took me out of that godless situation. Joshua says that Abraham's father, Terah, worshiped the gods on the other side of the river. He's praising God, the God of heaven here. He took me away from that. He brought me from the land of my birth who spoke to me and swore to me that his descendants would give him this land. He'll send you an angel. What faith Abraham had. What faith that he had. I'm going to send you out to go find the woman who will carry the seed of the promise. Verse 8. But if the woman will is not willing to follow you, then you will be free from this oath, he tells him. Remember, he's going, well, what if she doesn't come? First of all, don't take my son back there. If she won't come, you're free. So I think you see the graciousness of Abraham now. He's going, look, if that doesn't work out, you're free from it. He's gracious and frees him from the oath. Just one more thought under Abraham. Um, Abraham's faithfulness was clear, um, clearly uh, effective around those around him. Uh, I'm trying to say that right. It seems when I study the text that the people around him have been greatly impacted by Abraham's faith now. And, and I, wanna, I just want to tie something to that. Those of you who have employees, because Abraham had a lot of people around him, those of you who are leadership position in any way, when you are faithful to God, it affects those around you. Because this is a massive calling. This is a massive undertaking for this servant to go find the, the next woman, because there's no more women in this family. Sarah's died, to go find this. And, and his faithfulness, the faithfulness of the servant is incredible. Notice C. You'll see that. And I think it's good instruction that if, if you're an employee and you have a faithful employer, you should, you should be this way as well, Right? So verse 2, now this faithful servant, we see him start to act. Verse 2, Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge over all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. Now, I'm not excited about that part, but um, this was a tradition. This means, hey, um, I'm going to keep this oath here. And so this man's very faithful to Abraham. Abraham, the Bible says here that he had charge over everything he owned. This was no slouch. This was no man that didn't know what he was doing. So he takes the best of the best. God chooses the best of Abraham's servants to go and do these things. 
And so he had to be a faithful man. And as we'll see, he has a deep trust in God as, in himself, as, as well as Abraham does. Look at verse 5. The servant said to him, suppose the woman is not willing to come to me or follow me to this land. Should I take your son back to the land where you came from? And so the servant here, I think, is being responsible, asking questions. He, you know, he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go way back to this land, get out of Canaan, go way back to this land, find my family, find the right girl and bring her back. He goes, well, I think a good question is to say, uh, what if I don't find her? <laughs> what if she won't come back? See, I think that's one of the reasons how we find the will of God, too. We say, okay, God, how am I going to do this? He'll show you these things, right? So he's faithful in trying to find out the whole situation. Verse 9, so the servant placed his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. So he's faithful, and he's, he says, this is my God-given master. Uh, I'm going to do what he tells. I'm going to honor God by what this man asked me to do, and he goes about it. Look back at verse 12 through 14, because I do want to look at this prayer of his. He pulls up on his camels to the well. Verse 11 says that the women come out in the evening to draw water here. So it's a good place to, to find a girl, I guess, right? Um, verse 12, he says, as he begins to pray, this is the servant here, this faithful servant. Oh Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show me loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to water. Now, may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your cameras also, may she be the one whom you appoint to your servant Isaac. And by this, I will know that you have shown loving kindness to your master. What a detailed prayer. And, and as I thought about this, I thought, wow, the servant the servant, that's, which is us, that trust in God, their prayers resemble their faith. I think sometimes we go, oh God, you know, help me today. Help you do what? He doesn't say, oh you know, God, I'm going to pull up the caravan here and, you know, we'll just start looking around. No, we're going to pull up, they're going to come out. Is ever the woman that asks me for a drink and not only gives me a drink, and, but waters all my camels? I mean, he's got this whole list. He's praying very specifically, isn't he? Do we pray that way? I, I love this servant. I, I, I am enthralled with him. I can't wait to meet this guy. He has amazing faith. I don't know that we always think this way. Notice in Verse 17 through 21, then the servant ran to meet her. This is exactly what happens before he can finish. Verse 15, speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethuel. This is a family member. Verse 16, the girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had had relations with her. She came down to the spring to fill her jar and came up. And then the servant ran to meet her. And he said, please let me drink a little in the water, a little water from your jar. And she said, here now she begins to speak. Here's Rebekah. The first time we hear from her, drink, my Lord. And she quickly lowered the jar to her hand and gave him drink. And now before he had finished giving the drink, she said, I will draw also water for your camels until they have finished drinking. No easy task. So the servant's prayer is answered. He's, he's faithfully asked God for something that's remarkable. And remember, there's an angel in this guiding him to this. God's got this whole sovereign plan here. Verse 26. And then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord. 
This is what he does. This is the servant's response. He bows down. Verse 27, the servant's got his priorities right. Notice he's rehearsing this to him. He says, blessed be the Lord. Notice this, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master and for me. I wrote on my side of my Bible here, priorities, God, master, me. Notice that in that. He said, blessed be the Lord God. Praise God. He's been good to my master and he's also been good to me. <laughs> what an amazing uh, thought there uh, out of a servant here who's, who's totally indentured in some way to Abraham. He has such great priorities of how God blesses and how God's work. Verse 35, the servant relays the story with perfect uh, uh, consistency. So he comes into the house, Laban's house there. They bring the camels in. They do all that stuff. Verse 35, he starts to tell the story perfectly as it happened. And one of the things I loved about that story is you go back and read this. He doesn't embellish it in any way. He tells exactly what he talked to Abraham about. Abraham, he tells what Abraham said would happen. And it exactly happens just as God performed it. Great faith. In this man. Great faith. Now, how about the faithful bride? How about the faithful bride? Well, we don't see her till verse 15. Before he's finished praying or speaking here, out comes Rebecca, right? Beautiful Rebecca, verse 16. She's a beautiful girl. She's a virgin. She has not had any relationship with men. Um, and she, she comes directly right to him as though God is just divinely bringing her there, which he was. Now, one of the things I love about Rebecca is that she's a normal girl, and yet she, she has a tremendous respect for this stranger. There's a kindness about her. This servant, the Bible says that he is the oldest of the servants. So it doesn't take us very long to think, well, if Abraham's 137, 134, 100, 140 maybe, somewhere in there, he's been around a long time with him. He's no spring chicken himself. So this young gal, this young gal sees this, this gentleman here and, and in her character that comes from this chaste behavior that comes out of her, she immediately reacts to the situation. It's interesting, isn't it? And, and, and she's sweet. I mean, when you, when, you, when you see her, you go, wow, what a great gal. In verse 18, she says, drink, my Lord. And she lowers the jar and gave him drink out of her hand. Right? We don't even like touching strangers, right? Here's this guy on a camel. Pulls up alongside. Hey, you know, want to marry my master's son? <laughs> and she, she lets him drink out of his hands. He waters all those camels and does all those things. You see this. And Re Rebecca's faithfulness draws out this response to this person. It's interesting, I, I picked up a kind of Rebecca here lately. I don't know if you all heard. The name's Becky. She came back from a trip and had some stuff on her hand. But she gave me a mug the other day. And I got thinking about this. I go, well, she's giving me a mug to drink, so you go fill my truck up with fuel. There's <laughs> such a correlation here. And, and uh, it's so fun to watch people obey the Lord and see what he does. And sometimes it comes sooner than later. And I know there's people longing for God's will in their life in different aspects. But we're not told much about Rebecca here. But what we're told is she's this chaste, godly acting woman. 
And don't think she's any different than girls of today. She's probably longing to get married. That's been in them since the garden, right? Since he, he said, I'm going to give you a longing for your husband. There's a, there's a desire for those things. So she, she was a woman longing for that, and yet she kept herself. And she becomes, she becomes a woman who is going to carry a child within her that has the seed in that person that is going to become the Lord Jesus Christ eventually. And so she seems quick to respond. She's faithful. She responds very well. Verse 45, um, they, they, they say, look, um, okay, this is a great story. You can have her. So the servant says, hey, can we leave right now? Let's go, man. I got my gal. I mean, God's blessed. Let's, hey, let's call this thing amen, wrap it up, and head, head home. And, they, and Laban, you start to see a little bit of Laban here because he's the one that really works Jacob over in a few chapters um, when he comes for Rachel. He says, oh, we'll stay a while. And he says, how about 10 days? Who knows what he was up to? He pulled that trick, of course, on, on Jacob and ended up 14 years. So, uh, but this servant is smart, right? And he says, no, let me go now. And finally they say, well, let's ask Rebecca." And before they had spent a speaking in their heart, Rebecca came with a jar. She, she lowers that down. Excuse me, I'm not in the right verse here. Lowers it down. He tells the whole story. But at, uh, I, lost my, I lost my verse here. Let the, oh, verse 55, let the girl stay 10 days. And he said, no, not delay. Verse 56, let her come with me right away. They said, let's ask Rebecca. And Rebecca says, I will go with this man right now. So she responds in faithfulness quickly. And then, of course, we see God's reward to Rebecca, 64, through the end of the chapter there. Rebecca's coming up to um, where Abraham and Isaac are camped. She spots Isaac, and she dismounts her camel, you know, from her camel in 64, and she says to the servant, this is the old servant that's with him, who is that man? <laughs> Who's that man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant says, that's my master. That's Isaac. And what a beautiful uh, uh, greeting this must have been. Both of them knowing that God had put this together. Finally, we'll just close with a faithful groom. Um, it's, the whole story is about, about Isaac getting a bride in here. But I just want you to think, there's not much told about Isaac in this, except that don't forget what he just came off of in chapter 22. I think Isaac was greatly changed by Genesis chapter 22. Dad was like, uh, okay, we're, God wants me to sacrifice you, but he's going to somehow provide. Um, he saw all that happen. He watched God provide that ram. He saw the substitutionary death that took place there. He saw all those things. He greatly trusted in his father. And, and so he allowed his father to send his servant off to bring him. So we see a very faithfulness of Isaac even in this. There was a great clear trust from him. And so at the end, he as well, when you see in verse 63, really the main verse that we have here on Isaac was we see that Isaac was out in the field meditating. The, the Hebrew word uh, suach is, is a word. It's an interesting word. Uh, there's some textual criticism you'll see in that, that verse a little bit. But the idea of the word was he was out contemplating things of life. 
And I think he was, man. You know, just a little while ago, dad was going to kill me, but God provided something else. We've been all over the country moving around, doing all these things. Now there's my servant out trying to bring me a wife home. I'm sure he's out thinking about things. And yet he must have had a great trust in the Lord of how he would provide. And then just the last few verses, the servant told Isaac all that he had done. I mean, do you imagine? He knew this was taking place. The servant goes, Isaac, before you meet her, I got to tell you what happened. It was amazing. We pull up with the camels. She comes out. Just exactly what I prayed for. And, and, and then Isaac takes her, right? Verse 67, he brings her into his mother's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. Look at this verse. He loved it. Now it's a narrative and, and, and he just loved her. And notice the last phrase. Isaac was comforted by his mother's death. Isaac loved his mother greatly, but this is, he was content with the woman God gave him. See, that's faithfulness. That's why we see faithfulness of Isaac. He's content. So as we wrap this up, who, third question here is who benefits the most from this story? Does Abraham? I mean, Abraham, this is cool. This is a promise that God has given. There's going to be a great nation coming from him. Was it the servant? Did he benefit? How did he benefit? He trusted God. God did a miraculous thing. He was amazed how God provided for that. Well, what about a Rebecca? She got a husband out of this, a man that um, seems to, be, to love God and, and know the faithfulness of God, and, and she gets a husband out of this. Was it Isaac? Was it Isaac? Did, did he got a great wife, and then the, the line of Christ is going to come through that? Well, I think the real answer is, when you sit, sit, uh, think about this text, who's the ben- who benefits the most from the story is all those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because though it's this romantic, beautiful story of, of God doing an amazing, miraculous uh, thing to bring a couple together, what it's about is that the seed is going to continue through Isaac and Rebekah and then through Jacob and Rachel, um, and, and, for, and down through the line to bring us Christ. And so as I looked at this, I said, Lord, you gave us the longest chapter in Genesis about a love story. And the greatest part of the love story is the love of Christ that's going to come through these people. He's coming through them. And, and think about it. He could have come home with any woman, but God was sovereignly over that thing and brought the right woman so that they would marry, they would have children. Of course, Esau and Jacob are going to come from, from them. Jacob is going to be the one God loves, Esau the one he hates, and, and the line is going to go right down to Jesus Christ. So the real benefactors of this story, you and me. That's our Savior coming through these people. And he protected it. So I hope you're encouraged you know, God does amazing things. Be faithful. I, I guess when I got done with it, I said, Lord, help me be faithful. <laughs> help me be a faithful person. Because you'll bring, you'll bring about your will. Help me be faithful so I can be a part of it. Father, thank you for this, this evening. Lord, it's fun to study this text. It's fun to realize that through amazing circumstances, you can bring about your will. And Lord, all you've done is asked us to trust you. Be obedient, be faithful. Let your love for me drive your behavior and I will meet your needs. It's a simple, simple teaching, Lord, but yet so hard at times. So Father, I pray that we would be 
faithful, driven by your loving kindness that you have shown to us undeserving people, we would trust you when we can't always see how things are going to come about. And we would allow you, God, the God of heaven and the God of earth, the God of the universe, to bring about your will in our life. So Lord, give us faith to walk with you and trust you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.